uh, before, before we started actually out there in the commons, and we do this every single Sunday, uh, we pray together for the service, uh, for what the sermon's going to bring, and, and that the words that are spoken actually aren't from Bill or, or Steve or whoever's bringing the message, but it's something that's from God. I'm assuming that's what they do at other churches as well. Um, I got to thinking a while back of, you know, if these words are supposed to be God-spoken, is it something that we should only share once? And so today, I'm copying out and I'm stealing a sermon from one of my two favorite uh, preachers that I heard. Uh, he did it last year. And it's something that stuck with me and I just wanted to bring it to you guys today. I did a little different version of it, but um, that's what we're going to do today. So hopefully it works out. Uh, before we do so, I'm going I'm to pray here. So if you'll bow your heads with me. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, just ask what we... Um, just brought up that you will speak the words through me this morning, and uh, any, anything that does come from my mouth that shouldn't be, that it gets, uh, gets taken down and, and blocked away from the ears that are hearing it today. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Robert Raymond Tedrick was born August 10, 1927, in Vandalia, Illinois. He was the oldest of three. His brother Gail was three years younger, and Anne was his baby sister of almost ten years. Robert began his schooling at Central School, attending first grade to grade five. He moved on to McKinley School and ended up graduating from Vandalia High. Can you throw that video up real quick? He was a mean little kid, but he had a lot of friends. There was nothing that he wouldn't do. He spent Halloweens going through Vandalia, turning over outhouses and wedging sticks on car horns so they would blare until the cops showed up. Of course, by the time he did, he was actually on the other side of town doing the same thing to another car. Apparently, this went on and on. He had several passions, among them hunting, fishing, baseball, talking, and food. Robert started hunting at 10 years old when he got his first rifle. He would hunt birds mainly, quail, ducks, and geese. When Robert turned 19, he got his first hunting dog. He would have many bird dogs. Uh, his first one was Jake. He had another one named Queen, and probably his favorite one was Duke. One time, uh, Queen had a litter of 10 pups, and Robert's daughter got to name each and every one of those 10 little puppies. And uh, I guess that was kind of a mistake. There was a fun story that Robert took one of the dogs to the vet, and this was the dog that they kept. The dog's name was Cat. Again, his daughter got to name the pups. Well, Robert was a little bit uh, embarrassed to tell the uh, vet what the dog's name was, and by the time he got around to it, introduced his puppy named Cat. The vet assured him that it really wasn't that odd of a name. Shoot, earlier that morning, he had a girl puppy that came in named Ralph. Robert just smiled, and he let the vet know that that was one of the other nine puppies that his daughter had named. <laughs> Later in life, when he couldn't hunt any longer, he didn't stop talking about it. It was just in his blood. He would fish often, too, always swapping embellished stories with his friend, his rival, and his sister-in-law's husband, Bernie. The two of them were always trying to outdo the other, but we'll get more into Bernie later. Robert lived through the Great Depression. And when, he was, when you were visiting his house later on in life, you could probably tell that. 
He always had a fully stocked refrigerator in the kitchen. And he had one in the garage too. And that one sat next to the fully stocked freezer. And then he had those pantries as well. He was the definition of a big eater. When he was 13, he would go down into the cellar and eat a whole quart jar of peaches. Even strangers took notice of his appetite. There's a story where he was at a restaurant and as a teenager he was bet that he couldn't eat whatever it was, 10 or 12 hamburgers. And he was going through and he was getting it and one of the workers came up to that stranger and said, you should be ashamed of yourself. I mean, he could get really sick and then what happens? That'll be on your conscience forever. Or maybe you'll even get sued. Well, the stranger told Robert, as he was getting near the end anyways, that you can go ahead and stop and, and here's your money. Well, not 10 minutes later, after Robert left the restaurant, you could see him coming back through the restaurant windows with an ice cream cone in his hand, eating that from his recent winnings. In 1945, at the age of 17, Robert joined the U.S. Navy. While stepping on his first Navy bus ride, he heard the news of President Roosevelt's death. It was his service that took him to California, where he and his best friend met the girls that they were going to marry. At least that's what they promised those girls before they never came back. Fishing and hunting in California just isn't the same as it, as it is in Illinois. He was only in service for a short period and thankfully never saw combat from World War II. Once back, Robert met a girl named Potsy. They went on two or three dates, but he really didn't have any interest there. The only reason he pursued that relationship was so that he could get next to Potsy's older sister, Dorothy Jean Tedrick or Carmen, excuse me. A little foreshadowing there. After a year of dating, he would go on to marry Dorothy Jean on September 17th of 1949. Robert and Jean had two children, a little boy, Joe, who grew up to be his own legend, and a girl, Lynn, whom he famously sold his best shotgun to help pay for her birth. It brought $50. Robert was baptized with his wife when Joe was three and Lynn was two months old. He played a, played a lot of ball for Vandalia's team, but he also spent a lot of time with his children, sometimes throwing them around in the back of a junky old black paneled truck, swerving around in the tall grass at their home in Troy with all these infested black snakes. Other times he would share his wisdom through one of his clever sayings, one like, I'm busier than a cat covering up poop on a hot tin roof. He was a patient man too. It could be seen on display as he sat out in the yard and waited for a mole to peek its head out before he would take care of it with a shotgun. The man never met a stranger, and he always saw good in people. Everyone was a good old boy. He worked as a prison guard at the State Correctional Center in Vandalia for a brief period. He was a strong individual. Sometimes he would pick up prisoners over his head in the yard just for fun. During his tenure year there, a prisoner escaped from the center which came as a surprise to Robert because he really thought that guy was a good old boy. Robert was one of a very few people in Vandalia that did not work at the shoe factory. He went on to deliver soft water for Culligan and later found his career at the railroads. He and Gene ended up moving to Troy and for 30 years he would walk almost six miles a day oiling wheels and taking care of the trains. The job was outdoors and that's all that he really needed to enjoy it. He wasn't a workaholic, but he took on a second job with a different soft water company when the money got tight. When he retired, he kept his promise to his wife and they moved back to Vandalia. 
In 55, Robert picked up smoking a pipe, a habit in which he finally kicked in 1991. When he did smoke his Prince Albert, he always had two pipes with him, the one as an extra when the first one got too hot. Now he did like his fireplaces hot. Christmases were often spent cracking walnuts in 80 degree living room, which was odd because he also loved the cold so much. As grandchildren came, he spent most of his time tending to his garden and laying on the living room floor watching the Cubs games. After the Cubs would lose, he would take his grandkids out for ice cream, having them guess the temperature outside, drive by the wooden Indian statue in town and say, how? Maybe go down to look at how high the river was or take everyone out to the countryside and talk about places that no little kid would ever want to hear about and go back home and teach the little ones how to shoot a BB gun from the front porch. Some days he would take trips to the railroad bridge near his Vandalia home and allow his grandkids and their friends to empty out the old sticky Werther's butterscotch candies that were on the front seat of his, his truck. We'd throw them over the, the railroad bridge. He even put up with one of the most special grandchildren that threatened and ended up going through with, carving their name on his brand new lawnmower. He was a terrific grandfather who went on to have future great-grandchildren named after him. He was a man that loved to have fun and would try to spice up any moment. He would rhyme all the time for no reason at all. He finally did end up getting to visit Wrigley Field one time late in life. He went with his son and his son-in-law, and they got to the game early to take it all in. The three of them ended up striking up a conversation with another fan in the friendly confines, and they told that man Robert's story of finally getting to see the Cubs play in person after so long. The fan told Robert that he hadn't missed much. Rob loved to tease people himself in the same lighthearted manner. He and Bernie would go back and forth a lot. Rob would hop on Bernie's lawnmower and zigzag across his lawn just to get a rise. One year he kept signs in his garden at the tomato section that read, Big Boys and Better Boys and Better Than Bernie's Boys. <laughs> he and Bernie would steal each other's TV guides when visiting the other house and They'd honk and shank the book out the window as they would drive out the, the way. It was like real-life grumpy old men. He ended up moving to a new home in Highland with his bride later on in life. They lived in the faith countryside homes. You know, the ones that all look alike. One day, he rushed home so that Bernie could use the restroom in Rob's new house. We'll just say that Bernie was in there for a while. But as he was... Robert was out in the living room just talking up a storm. Come to find out, he was in the wrong house. And while Bernie was in there doing his thing, Robert was out in the living room just telling people anything that wasn't relevant. He assured them that they were Baptists, so. When Bernie came out of the restroom, they left the house and went back two doors down to where he really lived. Perhaps that was a small sign, but... As his life went on for Robert, Alzheimer's disease slowly began to take over. It was a nasty disease that drained away the man that he truly was, and ultimately it took his life at the age of 82. <clears throat> when you come into the Vandalia Cemetery, you have to go all the way to the back to one of the back locations to visit my grandfather. He passed away a little over eight years ago. I do this a lot. <laughs> Less than a month before 
uh, Jessica and I got married. To get to his grave, you have to drive. To get to his grave, you have to drive through a much older part of the cemetery, presumably where it <coughs> originated. Probably like many other cemeteries, you can see the history as you go through. Many of the graves up front are not decorated at all. But as you drive along, you get to see scatterings of flowers here and there. There are sections of bright colors strewn about, revealing recent love and memories from other visitors. As you come to the newer areas, like the one where my grandfather rests, you'll see saddles covering the tombstones and plastic flowers and bouquets that grace many of the sides of the other stones. I wonder how long my grandpa will get to lay beneath the bright colors. And when that time will come that his memories will fade along with the flowers in his section. It's been said that when you die, we die twice. One time when you stop breathing and a second time when somebody says your name for the last time. My great-grandparents have been gone for a long time and I really can't remember them. Most likely when my parents' generation passes, those memories of their grandparents will pass with that generation as well. And when Jessica and I pass, the memories of my grandfather will disappear not too long after. I don't mean to cry for my grandpa. It's <clears throat> not what this sermon's about at all. We're only a couple generations away from not knowing Christ. What are we doing to proclaim our Lord? We need to be sharing those Bible stories with our children and our grandchildren at the dinner table and in our car rides. We need to share Christ with our friends and with our coworkers at the office. We need to step up and share the gospel with those in Africa if we are called to do so. We need to proclaim the Lord our God with a stranger. And when that opportunity arises, we need to be able to tell those people our story as well. As Matthew documents in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded of you. And surely I am always with you to the very end of the age. These are distinct instructions. They're action words, actions that we shouldn't be just displaying for a little bit. We need to do that more than just where we're at today. We need to think about the other six days and 22 and a half hours of our week. So what's the message today? God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's the message. Go out and share that. Think of one person and dare yourself to share that message. Then do it again with someone else, and another, and another, and again. Proclaim our Lord. <laughs> and if you don't know what that means, if you don't have that personal relationship with your God, seek that out in the most desperate way that you can. It'll change your life. And when it happens, and you want to dedicate or rededicate your life, do it. You can do it here today. You can do it when you're at home. You can 
really doesn't matter where. The boldest steps that we take in our lives are the ones that define who we are. We're taught to do things in remembrance of him. We will be forgotten one day. But while we are here, we have a responsibility. When I die, I hope my boys don't tell somebody when they ask who I was that I really enjoyed playing volleyball or um, I got really successful at work one day. I want the first things out of their mouths to be, my dad taught me about Jesus and he made it the most important thing in our family's lives. Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for allowing me to get through the message, but uh, we just thank you for, for being in our lives and uh, being there when, when we don't even trust you, when we don't know who you are. We ask that you will show yourselves in our lives in a way that we can't mistake and that we have to go out and just proclaim your name and that we won't let that, that generation leave and that your name will not be forgotten. Father, we pray for those things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.